Good afternoon. This is Never Punt, Never Parlay, starting a little late. And as you can tell, it's just me at the moment, Douglas Farmer. My co-host, my friend, my colleague, Parker Fleming, is running a bit behind. I know why. It's a good reason. He's taking care of some things. He will join us any minute. It'll make for an element of surprise when he hops in. And now that I've given you the, the cover story of why we're starting late, the cover story of why Parker's not here, I'll tell you the truth. He's scared. He went 0-3 two weeks ago, and you notice we didn't have a show last week. Coincidence? I don't know. And his three picks were terrible. Georgia never was in danger of covering against Missouri. Central Florida was my fault. Nebraska never never was going to cover three against Michigan State, outright lost. Buffalo was never going to cover 15.5 against Toledo. Parker has been on a cold streak, and, and if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen, however you want to be, however you want to frame it. And now he comes in just as I get to point out, later on today we're going to talk about our futures. Parker, you're doing worse in your futures best than you did with your game picks two weeks ago. This is welcome to the kitchen. How's the heat feel? It's it's happening, man. I am uh, I'm here. I'm already sweating, so I feel good with it. Uh, and uh, you know, eternity begins anew each day. That's the uh, the beautiful thing about picking, is that uh, like Alan Watts said, you're under no obligation to be the person you were five minutes ago. I'm under no obligation to be the gambler I was five minutes ago. So uh, uh, I can always ago, you things here. around. We will gladly take <laughs> a new version of Parker Fleming. We are here. We apologize for our absent la absence last week. We do our best to be here every week at 4 Eastern. We will be here next Tuesday at 4 Eastern. Parker, I already roasted you a little bit for your picks two weeks ago. But you know what we should point out? We had a rough week. We went one and five. It was the darkest timeline. We're still 34 and 29 on the year and up more than two units. Oof. I like it. Uh, I'm okay with that at all, considering that you had some rough weeks earlier in the season. So my one rough week didn't put us too much in a hole. I was still able to keep us ahead of everything. I had one rough week <laughs> season. Last week, my picks oh, were both public and private, but they did not make the show. I did go two and one. I'm just going to take that as a point of pride. But other things did happen last week. There was football. And the two most notable games were both rather lopsided by the two clear-cut national title contenders. Georgia takes it to Mississippi, 52-17. to 17. Brock Bowers is back. Right tackle and Marius Mims is back. The best number you can get on Georgia right now to win the title is plus 260. And I'm putting that out there just for context, Parker, because I think Georgia looked that good. They did. They looked really, really good. And uh, kind of, uh, again, best-case scenario of what I saw um, was, hey, Brock Bowers is out. Uh, and let's get our uh, let's figure out an offense without him. Let's figure out life without Brock Bowers. And then boom, he comes back. It's all gravy. So Mims and Bowers there is nice. Ladd McConkey looks really good. Um, and and again, they, it does feel like they've kind of flipped the switch into flying death machine. We'll see how that holds up here. The Alabama Georgia show showdown number three in the last three seasons, but they did not play last year. So could be interesting. I like this note. I tweeted this earlier, and it kind of made me mad. But um, Georgia could go and win three national championships in a row while going one and two against Nick Saban. That's funny. That is objectively, cosmically hilarious that that's on the table. And if something like you're that suggesting, happens, it would be You're amazing. suggesting they lose the SEC title game and they both make the playoff this year and don't face each other? Well, yes, I think, yeah, again, it's possible. Not, not, not guaranteed. Possible. possible. On the table, very funny, and if we can't follow outcomes for how funny they might be, I don't know what we're doing here. So that's it's, one that I had in my pocket. It's the SEC corollary of last year's playoff that Ohio State could have won the national championship while Ryan Day had gone 0-2 against Michigan in the last two years, which Ohio State fans would have been just as fresh. It's that corollary 
of, you know, yeah. sometimes rivalries are more important than the playoffs. Something you and I will come back to here, something we believe in our heart of hearts, our soul of souls. But speaking of Michigan, 24 to 15 against Penn State. Penn State has a legitimate defense, and to use a Parker Fleming verb, Michigan just beefed it. They did. Um, did did not, you know, negative, negative success rate. But why? Because they didn't have to do anything in the second half. They just handed the ball off, took a couple of runs, and just ground out the clock. Absolutely outclassed, different levels there. Penn State's defense, fine. It's fine. It's not amazing. The offense, nothing at all. And, and you can see, I mean, they, they they made a change at offensive coordinator. I think that might have been long overdue. They didn't have the personnel that he succeeded with in the past, aka um, you know, tight ends and, and maybe a certain type of running back. But um, yeah, it, it's a good example of how the talent fit is an underrated evaluation tactic. You know, you can see somebody having good talent. You can see them beating up on bad teams because of that good talent. But if you're consistently falling flat against the other good, talented teams, similarly talented teams, your fit is not right. And you got to think about that complementarity when you're evaluating a football team. I do like the way you phrased your first point there. Michigan had a negative success rate. Michigan, by the numbers, played badly in the second half. And it's nice to hear that from you. And this is this is meant sincerely because even you will admit that sometimes the numbers don't tell the story, and you have to you know watch the game to understand what happened. Michigan took a a backseat to analytics in that instance. It got hurt on that respect, but it's because it it knew how to win the football game the proper way, its own way, and that's good to keep in mind on these things. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to. Uh, yeah, you don't have to. You know, don't do more than you have to, especially with Ohio State on deck. Why would I? You know, if I can just run and win the game, why don't I just run? and win the game. Um, Florida State survived uh, in kind of, I, I won't call it survival Saturday, but uh, we did have three of these teams here that that, that just kind of narrowly won games that they probably should have won, um, you know, based on the pregame spread, a little bit heavier. Washington survived against Utah. Speaking of hilarity, did you see the dropped pick six? Uh, dropped it before he got in the end zone for Washington. Very, very funny football play. Um and uh, Oregon, you know, survived against USC. That was within a touchdown. And Texas uh, turtled up in the second half and kind of let TCU claw back and only ended uh, only um, uh, only one by a field goal. Sorry, you guys are sending me messages. Do I sound bad? A little bit, a little bit of feedback on the mic. Producer Jacob thinks you're coming through the wrong mic there. But my point, and so I'll vamp for you for a second to cover that. Uh, I put all of those on our outline here because. That's how good Georgia and Michigan looked. If Florida State's barely getting by Miami, if Washington's barely getting by Utah, it's so on and so forth. Coaches like to say winning is hard, and we laugh at them and we make fun of them, but it is. And nonetheless, there's a real legitimate point here that maybe this is just a Michigan-Georgia year. The best number you can get on Michigan right now is plus 245, and that – we're getting to a point where Michigan and Georgia are equal in the futures market, and it's just the two of them. And I think that's worth pointing out at this point. They both have conceivably only one real test beforehand, Ohio State and Alabama. So we know they're going to be in it. Presuming no is not the right, right verb there, but it looks that way. And that's why I wanted to run through those games. But like I said earlier, Parker, we don't care just about the playoff. It's not just about the playoff. There are 133 teams, and that's before I start to ramp about the, M the FCS. Parker, I got into a little bit of debate this weekend about the group of five. There's no undefeated team. There's no headline-worthy team. But there's some good possibilities for a New Year's Six team, right? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of fun there. Um, and, and looking at some of these teams 
that aren't, you know, going to going to compete for a playoff or even flirt with the playoff. Uh, I, I I think there's a, a lot of fun here. Obviously, Tulane is probably um, closest to you know making it uh, outright, but I think there's a couple others that are that are pretty interesting as well. I mean, who's Liberty going to lose to? And that's a question that we have to ask ourselves facing right now. And they're in a conference now, so they're not kind of like BYU and last year where. Eh, you don't know they, they they're they're not G five they're not P five so they're not going to get that spot. Uh, Liberty has a has a lane to it as well. It's it's fun and you look at the Jamie Chadwell offense. I asked you the other day what what one of these group of five teams would you be most intrigued by in a New Year's Six bowl? And when you say Liberty, I assume it's partly you want to see the Jamie Chadwell offense go up against. Let's for this conversation, let's just say Missouri. Missouri could be the SEC team they face. Yeah, or even a Penn a Penn State defense. Like, uh, yeah, I think I think those would be the two candidates, depending on how everything kind of shakes out and who wants to go where. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think they could absolutely give somebody hell. I, I, their roster isn't great. Uh, would definitely be kind of an underdog story. But catch somebody. I, I think I think Missouri would probably smoke them. But like somebody like Penn State, it's maybe a little bit like, eh, we go to New Year's Six every year, we lose to our rivals. Like this just isn't exciting for us. I think they could catch them and make things very annoying for them. The one I would be most intrigued by now, selfishly, we're going to get to this in a moment. I want it to be UTSA because of a future that has some nice value. But the one I'd be most intrigued by would actually be forward-looking SMU. If SMU very much can make a New Year's Six Bowl, if it wins out, wins the AAC, goes in and takes it to a Penn State or a Missouri, SMU with an I-don't-know-where-it-came-from underrated defense at this point is starting to be recognized, very good defense then we're going to have a, a spring and summer spent discussing could SMU make some noise in the ACC in year one. Not contend, but make some noise. And I think that, while it's unfortunate for the group of five, would be a, a fun way to look at that New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, absolutely, and especially with the narrative of, of them potentially jumping up. Uh, they've got to get through Memphis they, this weekend. They are they well, are jumping up. This is Who knows what the ACC is going to be in, in a couple of years. But, uh, fair, um, point. fair point. Fair the, point. Uh, they got to get through Memphis this weekend, a game that they have not, they have not won in Memphis in, in, in quite some time now. Um, Douglas, should we check in on some – on some futures speaking. I don't of, know that you, know, you want season to and what might be I'm not sure. Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay to. with the vibes. I still have, I still have three that are, that are, that are pretty okay. Uh, uh, you have, so you like have those. one that is pretty okay. You're telling me you, okay. Yes. The Oklahoma state flyer, the Oklahoma state play was partially just to create an opportunity, but you're telling me that Oklahoma state's actually going to win the big 12. Uh, I think Oklahoma State still very much uh, controls their destiny to go, you know, two bad teams and can get into the Big 12 championship, which is all yes. that matters at this situation. Uh, so I feel okay about that. That's a 65 uh, to 1 ticket 60, that we both have. 65 to 1. Hell right. yeah. And your other your other big ticket, which is somehow still alive. I, I've triple checked this. Nebraska can still win the Big Ten West for me and then the Big Ten for you if it beats Wisconsin and Iowa and Iowa loses to Illinois this weekend, which is a narrow path, but it is like Iowa's only a three-point favorite. Nebraska's only a five-point underdog at Camp Randall. Crazier things have happened. Crazier things have happened. I have I okay, but then I have three that are all very legitimate. Bama to win the SEC, Louisville to win the ACC, which hello, thank you. Um, it's, it's, and Texas to uh to go to the playoff. Uh I all three of those are alive and well. All three of those are still looking like they could turn out profitable. 
the only one that I say is well is Alabama to win the SEC. Texas, you need help for the Longhorns to make the playoffs. First of all, they have to keep winning. They have to win out. But they need the Pac-12 winner to take a loss. They need Florida State or or Florida State or Michigan to take a loss. Is one of those three and a half teams taking a loss likely? Yes, but they need that. And so I'm not sure you can claim that's alive and well. That's probably fair. That's probably a fair distinction. Um, which one of yours are not settled yet uh, as well? Uh, you've, you've got I, Michigan to the college football playoff. The Cowboys Michigan to win it. I've got Michigan to win okay. it at plus 950. That, I mean, value-wise, that's down to 245. I'll take it. And then I have yeah. I have four conference plays that were all legitimately full plays. Washington was only half a play that look great. Air Force to win the Mountain West at 5-1. to one. UTSA to win the AAC at four, 470. Troy to win the Sun Belt, already locked up a bid at 350. Washington to win the pick, Pac-12 at 360. And then I'm still sitting on Oklahoma State, Georgia Southern as flyers. Oklahoma isn't dead yet. Ohio to win the MAC isn't dead yet. I'm looking at a, a pretty good chance of a nice profit on my futures. You need everything to break right to land in the black. And you know, sometimes everything does break, right? Sometimes it doesn't, but uh, that's great. All I need is Oklahoma State to win the Big 12, and I'm fine. Then I get to take victory laps. It's fine. You just need the one to get there. Parker Fleming, avowed forever Oklahoma State fan. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> oh, man. Um Golly. All right, we got a couple big games. We got a bunch of big games, and we got some picks. Where are we at time? We're at 15 or 14 minutes. We're, we're, we're into good. it. That's great. Let's um, yeah, let's go ahead and roll. There's a couple of these that are pretty interesting. Louisville minus one at Miami this weekend. Um is Miami good, Douglas? I don't know that we've talked very much about them on this show. I, I is Louisville good, Parker. Yes, Louisville is objectively good, but Miami might there. also be objectively good. Miami, uh well, you know what? I don't have this as a play, but just in the last 10 seconds, I decided I'm going to be putting a little bit of personal money on Louisville, specifically for a coaching advantage. Jeff Brown coaches him up on Saturdays. Mario Cristobal does the exact opposite, and that's worth a point. I don't hate that. Um, I have this I have this basically at a point for, for Louisville regardless. Um Miami's net EPA per play is a little bit better. They're 11th overall, uh, and Louisville is 17th. But uh, you know Miami is is 16th on offense, 16th on defense. Like I I think that Louisville can create some opportunities here, um, and and potentially kind of do the the Louisville thing. One one big standout: Louisville 19th on early downs on offense, Miami 38th on early downs on defense. So some opportunity early to kind of get away from maybe some of those more athletic Miami defenders being able to tee off on you in a and third and long situation and rattle plumber. That's what that's what Louisville likes to do. It, it's, it thrives on the big play more than anybody else in the country, and it takes those shots on early downs more often because that's football 101. So that that is a nice thought to keep in mind that if Louisville starts hitting early, it's going to hit a lot late. Yeah, uh, no, I think that's I think that's totally fair. Um, the other thing that I'm interested in to see is Louisville's defense, 37th in EPA per pass. Um, Miami is 16th on offense in EPA per pass. Can those receivers um, spread out? Uh, and maybe I don't know how Louisville's going to be able to handle kind of two, uh, two or three options, which Miami has legitimately three options on offense. There, we'll see how they can uh, how they can do that. But I've got this one right at the number. 
Um, and, and at 47, I've got this at 40. I have this Louisville minus one and 49. How's that for uh, being right on, right on yeah, market? Folks, I don't the know Vegas numbers there. right now are Louisville by one and a total of 47. So Parker won't be playing the over, but if his numbers were to hit perfectly, it would suggest a slight over. The next big game to hit, also at noon on Saturday, a game you mentioned already, and it's it's maybe it flies beneath some people's radars, but like the, a, the American Athletic Conference has four teams in the mix for the conference title, and two of them meet this weekend, SMU at Memphis. SMU is an eight-point favorite. I don't think Memphis is that well-rounded of a team, but they just keep winning, so some credence has to be given. They win some absolute nonsense games. They win some games with some negative success rates. Um, Seth Hennigan is like back and forth, snip, snap, snip, snap. Um, just absolutely, you know, a good game every other week, but then a bad game every other week as well. Um, I, I'm actually going to take this opportunity to soapbox and say unbalanced schedules are terrible. And we're seeing this in the Big 12, and we're seeing this in the American. It makes uh, the race confusing. In the Big 12, uh, it's why we liked Georgia, it's why we liked Oklahoma State. In the Sun Belt, it's why I like Georgia Southern. They're terrible, and folks, you have to remember that in the preseason because it gives you an opportunity to exploit. But Parker's point here is. Memphis isn't playing enough of a schedule for these concerns. Yeah. And, and I mean, you just get, you know, the, the, the conference games are going to come down to the championship games are going to come down to arcane tiebreakers about this versus this versus this home and away and all this nonsense instead of be deciding, Hey, you just beat this person straight up. So you're better than them. Uh, which is always a little bit frustrating. Um, yeah. And again, I'm, I'm really interested to see kind of where he lands. One thing that's crazy about him is his average depth of target oscillates wildly in a game. It's been as high as 13.2, as low as uh, shoot 7.7, 7, uh, just back and forth, really, really kind of all over the place for him. And he's done a lot better at avoiding pressure the last couple of weeks. I say that because SMU's defense is very, very uh, good. They're 42nd in EPA per drop back. Hennigan is, uh, you know, taking a sack, only taking three sacks in the last three games. Uh, pressure to sack ratio of under 10 the last three games has been good at avoiding that pressure and trying to create. That's what you're going to have to do against SMU that is very, very stout up front. SMU's defense came out of nowhere on me this year, and I haven't, I don't know that I've properly comprehended it. And that's me acknowledging that it it's been an offensive team for all these years lately. And it still is, but its defense is legitimate. Uh that Hannigan averaged up the target thought, I'm gonna have to think about that, but it could the SMU defense could cause him many, many problems. Another defense that's going to cause somebody many, many problems is the Georgia defensive front against your favorite quarterback, Joe Milton. Georgia's a 10.5-point favorite, and I'm not sure Tennessee has a chance given how Georgia looked last week. The lad, I don't have this number in front of me. I should have thought ahead on that. When spreads are within two touchdowns these days, Georgia shows up. Georgia, like that's when Georgia actually cares. It, it sloughs against Vanderbilt because it's going to win if it plays one quarter. Uh, I don't know. Parker, do you think Tennessee has a chance at an upset? Any, like, honest to goodness. Uh, I think Tennessee uh, has a uh 33% chance at an upset because a favorite of 10 points wins uh, about 77% of the time in college football. Um, but in Go terms away. of the specific matchup Go here, uh, I will say that the one thing, the reason I'm not picking Georgia here is not only that they, uh, they let me down the other day by not, not stomping on Missouri's neck. Uh, Dolly Parton has been summoned and will be at the game and, uh, 
and is in, in, in favor of Tennessee. And I want to live in a world where Dolly Parton means something. And so this if there's Parker's, any reason this is Parker's roots showing through, um, Jacob's checking my math in the, yeah, in the I wasn't going to say here. it. Producer Jacob, gonna, come on, it's I wasn't going to. Uh, 23%, 77 <laughs> minus hundred is 23. I'm negative 23. I know. I know. Oh gosh. Um, but with Tennessee, uh, I, I want to say that their defense has, has been much better this year. It was, it was a joke last year. It was absolutely abysmal pass defense last year. This year, they are very good. They're fifth in EPA per rush. They're 30th in EPA per pass much better. And so from a program building perspective, that's what you want to see. A lot of guys can build one side of the ball up really, really well. What they can't do is fix the other side of the ball. It looks like Hypo is at least making strides in that direction. What I don't love though, is that their defensive strength is entirely their run game. I don't think that holds up against Georgia. Georgia is 10th in EPA per rush. They are seventh in rushing success rate on offense. I believe that they can physically uh, just move the ball against Tennessee if they need to, which gives them a very long leash to go find Lad, to go find Brock Bowers and really experiment on offense on how everybody works together on the field. Um, given that style points are going to matter, whether you want them to or not for the college football playoff, uh, you know, if they were to lose to Alabama, I think they have every incentive here to play four quarters of murder ball. Um, so I, I'm really not optimistic uh, in Tennessee covering, but I do not want to bet against Dolly Parton. You are kind of playing both sides there. Your Dolly Parton thought got Gabe Hernandez to consider, and I like the phrasing here, hammer in the Tennessee money line because we are, of course, part of the Hammer Betting Network on the Hit the Books HQ YouTube channel. Subscribe, rate, review, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you, you then close there thinking Georgia might run this up. If I see a Georgia by 10 flat, I'm going to be on it. I, I would enjoy that very much. Our, our next and and – Maybe most curious big game to touch base on is Washington at Oregon State. Undefeated top five Washington is a two and a half point underdog. And you have to understand why it's Corvallis. It's abandoned Corvallis, angry Corvallis, and weird things happen. Yeah, I think there's also potentially some weather this weekend. It's supposed to rain. Um pretty, pretty heavily and be like 50 and cloudy on Saturday. So that certainly makes things a lot worse for Washington. who wants to pass uh, a, a whole lot in this game. I still do have Washington favored. Um, I understand this. This feels a little bit like Kansas going to Iowa state a couple weekends ago and being, um, I think they were the underdog, but regardless, it's like you're ranked and you go to a weird place. Uh, I thought Iowa State should have won that game, but that's immaterial to this discussion. Oregon State has just had had some issues, but it's still a very good team. Washington eighth in EPA per play, Oregon State twelfth. Um, and while their defense is is just one spot better than Washington's, their offense is about six spots better, uh, third third to ninth there. So still a high quality team. I do think they've been a little bit forgotten, but I do I do think that they are um, competent. What I'm interested in watching for is can they prevent Washington from running away? You've seen a couple of times this year, Arizona State, for instance, where Washington was forced to play someone else's game. And when that happens, they are much, much worse. Can Oregon State dictate the pace? That's going to be the biggest thing for me here. And it's the Washington offense to draw a rough parallel. It's like Tennessee's offense last year. When it's clicking, it's going to get away from the opposition. If it misses a few times early, the pressure escalates. It's it's a bit of a variance play. Now, Washington, Michael Penix is so accurate. The variance hasn't presented itself. But it's it, it's that thought holds true 
of they need those big plays. And as soon as a few of them miss, they need the rest that much more, which then sets up an Oregon State slot. You have a very good point there. I want to touch base before we get to our picks. Gabe Hernandez asked if we have any thoughts on the uh, Utah-Arizona game, and uh, as did Dusk. And I have been tailing Arizona for a while now. I'm not going to stop. Uh, as much as I liked Utah to start the year, as much as I'm impressed by Kyle Whittingham's coaching job, it's one of his best. What Arizona is doing right now needs to be appreciated, and that that alone will get me there in time. Yeah, Arizona is is good. I think it's it's okay to say. Uh, hilarious tweets about you know if they hadn't lost this game or whatever, and and they would be you know hilarious tweets about that. Beside, I have them at twenty first in EPA per play margin. That's that's levels previously unthought of, and the defense is twentieth. Very good. That should be plenty to frustrate a Utah offense that, that has clearly run out of tricks. Um, but this Utah defense is very very good. I mean, I'm like legitimately excited to watch. Arizona's offense uh, play against them. Utah is up to first in EPA per play now. They've taken over UCLA. Um, they're second in the pass, seventh in the rush. So watching Arizona, you know, how are they going to attack this is really, really uh, fun. I do think that Arizona wins this game just because I don't think that Utah can do enough on offense um, to to keep up. And I, I think that Arizona is good for a couple of big plays here. But uh, I, I, again, you can't say enough about what Arizona has done this season and they're trending in the right direction. Uh, looking to build for next year, frankly, and uh, in, a, if, in a good way. If they hold on to both Jed Finch and Noah Fafita, which in college football in 2023, you have to acknowledge those ifs, especially the coaching carousel kicking into high gear, going from zero to 60 in about two hours this past Sunday. If they hold on to both of them, Arizona and the Big 12 is going to be a trendy thought next season. We'll see how the schedule breaks down, like we discussed earlier. Unequal, unequal scheduling is a frustration, but sometimes it yields opportunities. Just file Arizona away now for future reference. But with that, Parker, let's get to our picks this week. Returning to action, here we go. And I want to get in one right off the bat because it's Friday and we try to say our weekday picks off the top. I'm trying to get your Friday night bar tab paid for before your third drink because I'm taking a first half line only, taking UTSA by eight and a half in the first half against South Florida. Parker, I don't know if you've had time to look at all of your UTSA numbers, but I'm curious, what is um, – first, I'm going to rattle off two. Early in the season, first four games or so, UTSA's points per quality drive was 3.82. It was getting a quality drive less than a quarter of the time on offense. What do you have those at now? Uh, UTSA is 42.4% quality possession rate, and they're averaging – that's 67th in the nation. They're averaging 3.66% points per quality possession that's 58 in the nation now i want you to realize that in the games that frank harris has been healthy so the last let's see here six games they're averaging more than five points per quality possession they're getting a quality possession on more than two-thirds of their drives this team has changed that much in the latter half of the season with a healthy frank harris and that is not being properly appreciated that's the disparity between your numbers right now and just the six-week subset Frank Harris has made that much of a difference. Now I'm taking them only in the first half because I, I don't like a 15 and a half point line against an Alex Golish offense. South Florida scored, scored 35 or more points in four conference games. It just feels too ripe for a backdoor cover. But if I can get UTSA and shoot, if they get the opening kickoff, I might go hit this again. UTSA is offense is that much better. They've covered the sp first half spread in four of their last five games in four of the six with Frank Harris healthy. That alone gets me to think UTSA is undervalued and this is the way to hit it. 
Yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, South Florida, you know, in the in the 90s on uh, on defense and the 110s on offense in terms of EPA per play. Uh, but yeah, I agree with Golish. They are a little bit spicy um, in, in, you know, being able to potentially put up some numbers and, and not stop, especially as UTSA gets a comfortable league, says, hey, we've been hurt. We know we've got more to play for. Let's sit. Uh, definitely a recipe for a backdoor cover there. So I do like that. I make this game about nine and a half um, full, full game. So I like that in the in the first half. I, I, I think that's pretty responsible um there i i'm gonna go with a uh another g5 game and i'm gonna bet on a team i don't think that i've bet on this season um uh the coastal carolina chanticleers are a team that i kind of had circled to fade this year and tim beck's actually done a great job they struggled early uh we saw that drop off of the offense but they settled down and they're playing all right and they've got a nice stretch of opponents here that really go in their favor they're playing army and hot damn this has moved to three and a half from uh four and a half i think it was when i picked this i, I like having the three and a half here uh they're they're minus three and a half at mgm right now minus 115 that's what i'm going to take for my first play uh coastal 37th in epa per pass army's defense 85th Coastal generates a quality possession on 51.3% of their drives. Army allows it on 41.9. That's 22nd to 76. On the other side of the ball, where Coastal struggles is the run game and run defense. But you can take most of the pressure off the pass game because you know what Army is going to do. 131st in rush rate over expected. And Army is 116th in rushing EPA per play. So a little bit of slack on the Coastal defense. Um, a talent advantage for Coastal. And this offense is moving in the right direction. Give me, give me the chance to uh, to cover here. I'm a fan of it simply for no other reason than if you're right, that means my Army under six wins at plus money cashes. They're four and six right now. I'm feeling pretty good. They need to lose to Coastal or Navy, and I cash that, lose to Coastal, get that home, and then I can cheer for Army to beat Navy to get home another win total to end the season. So that alone makes me think, okay, we're, we're, we're cooking with gas here. We're going to stay in the group of five because you and I believe in all parts of the college football and too many people are saying this is a slow weekend. And I say, how can it be a slow weekend when ball state is favored by only 12 against Kent state? <laughs> I, I realized I had committed to the bid and I had to finish. Kent state is the worst team in the country uh, by far. I'm not sure Kent State should be within 12 points of anybody at this point. They lose their top receiver, Krishan McRae, if I have that spelled correctly on my piece of paper here. And that's a big deal for an offense that was already struggling. He's got 41 catches, 610 yards, and four touchdowns. Next on their team is 27 catches. Next on their team is 334 yards. They are going to struggle even more on offense. They're going up against a Ball State team that is 4-0 against the spread in its last four, covering those four by an average of more than nine points. Ball State has put something together and gotten ahead of expectations. And now you might wonder about motivation. This is a key thing in November. You've got to assess which teams are still out there, which teams, like you said earlier, UTSA might pack it in in the second half because they've got more to play for. Ball State was 2-7 and seven last week, and they still came out to play, and they, they won handily. They're still playing. It's a little surprising. It's very encouraging for that coaching staff. Whereas Kent State, like I just folded up, just – I'm not trying to catch that falling knife. I'm going to watch that falling knife hit the kitchen floor. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you lose, you know, talent and uh, the, you get into the depths. Things can get very, very bad here. I, I worry a little bit about Ball State being able to score. Their offense is 129th in the nation, but 
Kent State's defense is 128th, brother. There's nothing. There's there's nothing on the other side of that equation for for sure. So I I get this totally, um, and I like the idea of uh, kind of capitalizing on. Hey, you can one team's get one team's gonna find its floor. They absolutely are. If Ball State just stays what they are, they're gonna right. be fine here. And if if Ball State had not come out and played last week. I don't think I'm anywhere near them the rest of the season. But when you're when you're already two and seven and you still keep showing up, that stands out to me. That's worth noting. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. All right, I've got a one that's a little more on on the radar, uh, but maybe features maybe features a similar quality of football here. Um, that does it brings me no joy to report this, but the Baylor Bears are an awful football team. Um, I mean, they just they stink. If you look at their last couple of games, I mean, golly, look at this. 59 to 25, absolute ass whooping. 25 to 24, loss in overtime at home to Houston, new Big 12 team. 30 to 18 versus Iowa State, wasn't that close. Their win was at Cincinnati. You know how I feel about Cincinnati by Parker, only the field you, goal. How do you feel about Cincinnati? Bad. Feel very bad about that. They lost to Texas Tech 39 to 14. Absolutely got blown out. That UCF game, they were down 35 to nothing. I believe 33 to nothing. And they they could not. Uh, they, they came back and just did something absurd. Haven't been competitive in any game except Utah, Long Island, and UCF. Uh, and Cincinnati, that's just four of them. They are a bad team. They've got TCU in West Virginia, two grinders this weekend. Uh, TCU, not not good, not much better. I'm not going to stand here and be like, hey, they're amazing. But they have moved the ball well in situations, and uh, their one area that they struggle with is finishing drives. TCU 17th in echo rate, 91st in points per echo. Baylor's defense 104th, averaging 3.88 points allowed per quality possession there. So TCU maybe gets some opportunity to, to go up against a defense that's not good at finishing those possessions at all. You've got the rivalry um, – You've got the rivalry game, that rivalry aspect here. I think that matters a lot too. Baylor kind of packed it in. They're done for the season. Give me TCU minus 12 and a half, minus 110 as an administration that really needs some goodwill, tries to buy some back by running it up on their rival with uh, Josh Hoover at, at quarterback. I I see what you slid in there, and I'm not going to argue with an ounce of any of those thoughts. I am going to take us to another, a little bit more on the on the radar game, but in a rather under the radar way, I ran this up the chain of command here for approval to take a team total under on a Tuesday. They said, is it widely available? And I said, yes, it's at FanDuel. It's widely available. So we are going to fade Wake Forest offense in all of the ways. I am taking the Wake Forest team total under 10 and a half at Notre Dame this weekend, paying a little bit of a premium minus 130 at FanDuel. But I'm willing to do that because you need Wake Forest to score three times against a Notre Dame defense that, when it's on, is on. You need Wake Forest to – this is an offense that ranks 131st in the country in sacks allowed, 131st in the country in tackles for loss allowed, 129th in the country in havoc allowed. And I realize I said many of these same things two weeks ago when they – covered against Duke. That game changed when Duke was without his top two quarterbacks, changed the entire game flow, set Wake up for more success with better field position. As struggling as Notre Dame's offense seems to be, it's better than that. And now one more piece of November handicapping to keep in mind. Senior days can go two ways. And one way they can go is blowouts become worse. 
third string linebacker gets in in September, he doesn't care. Third string senior linebacker gets in on his last opportunity to ever play. He's still going all out. Notre Dame's last five senior days have gone 44 to zero, 55 to zero, 45 to 21, 40 to seven, 42 to 13. Notre Dame turns it on on senior day. The 99 to zero in the last two years stands out because Marcus Freeman has been at Notre Dame for two years, defensive coordinator, then head coach. And he got his defense cooking on those days. Wake Forest is in for a long Saturday afternoon. Absolutely. Uh, I, I like this one a whole lot. Uh, Wake Forest just not very good on offense, frankly, and certainly a far cry from that. There is the uh, Sam Hartman aspect as well, wanting to uh, wanting to show out that certainly didn't won't even, affect even, the team total per se, but uh, is, is definitely something you want to consider in terms of general equilibrium. So I like it. I like getting weird. We like to talk about weird games. We like to talk about weird plays, and uh, we'll, we'll go with the uh, Wake Forest team total under there as, as one of the weird plays. I've got one more, too, going back to the Mountain West. We got to talk about the running rebels. We got to talk about UNLV at Air Force. They are a three-point dog, and the Rebs have kind of gotten hot. Douglas, they've gotten a little bit hot. They won 56-14 against bad New Mexico team. They absolutely took care of Wyoming, jumping to a 21-point lead and never looking back. Uh Fresno got stuck there a little bit, but their last two before that, Colorado State and Nevada completely uh, you know, were able to kind of take care of business, fought off that, that classic Colorado State. Uh Late game comeback that they've been so successful. On the other hand, Air Force is depleted. They've got some injuries. They they really got stuck with some turnover bug against Army and Hawaii. Lost both of those games by double digits and uh, have really really fallen. I I think Air Force might be spiraling a little bit here. Right for an upset. UNLV. The vibes are very very good. Uh, like what they're doing on offense. Fifty sixth in EPA per play. Thirty eighth in EPA per pass, which will certainly challenge Air Force's twenty fifth rated passing defense here. So give me the Rebels. Uh, give me UNLV uh, again. Air Force here as the Falcons continue to skid. Maybe sprinkle some on the money line, but I'm going to take the plus three minus one ten. You can get that DraftKings, Caesars, MGM, you know, wherever. Uh, but let's let's say let's say the Raiders are going to at least keep it close. I what did I say? Don't Raiders? like that. You I can't remember. The Raiders are also based in Las Vegas. This is somewhat accurate. I don't like that because of my Air Force Conference futures, but what I do like about that is it's widely available. makes life easier for our viewers. Unlike many of our plays, I had to specify Wake Forest was available only at FanDuel. We specify those things so that you can quickly go find them. You can scan that QR code up in the corner and go to a sign-up page to FanDuel. doesn't cost you anything. might make us look a little bit better. And then there's other games. Like earlier, Parker, you took Coastal by three and a half at Army. Some books had that at four, four and a half. And we found three and a half because the easiest way to improve as a sports better is to use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds to comparison tool like BetStamp. Compares odds across all the sports books, saves you time, saves you money. Check out BetStamp. You get better odds and you get them quicker. You can download the app today. You can click the link in the show description, all sorts of places. Betstamp.app slash hit the books. That's how you become a smarter better. That's what we advocate for most here, the Hammer Betting Network or the Hit the Books HQ YouTube channel. Please, again, rate, review, subscribe, etc. Otherwise, Parker, I want nothing to do with UNLV there. I do want to quickly point out, 
looks like Colonel Locks there, heck of a screen name, asked us if there's any Maxim plays we like tonight. I'm not betting it, but it did make my list of considerations. If I had not gone with that Wake Forest team total under, I would have gone with Bowling Green by 10 tonight. Another example of shopping. I think that's not available everywhere, but you can still get it at DraftKings, and you want that 10 flat. Against Toledo, Toledo last year packed it in once they had the conference championship bid locked up. They might do that again, and at that point, give me double digits. Yeah, I think I would go the other way there just for the sake of being a contrarian, but actually mostly because Toledo like played a brand of murder ball last week that I have not seen. <laughs> I have not seen out of that team. Uh, they they were out for blood against Eastern you know Michigan what? last week and might do the you know same. No, what, Parker? I think it's time. Beer bet. I think we could do on it. On, on improv two beer bet here, adding to the pile of uh, of look of, at producer Jacob here. had the graphic ready to go. That's he's, that's he's top ready. class he's work on it. What what number are we using for this? Can I get a um, nine and a half? Can we, Jacob, how quickly can you pull up the screen that we can look at to see what we can use? Uh, I see mostly tens there. If you want to claim the nine and a half, I think no. We go I'm an 10. honest man. Let's do a ten. Let's we go let's call 10. it ten. Okay. Uh, we are currently tied one-to-one on beer bets. I need UTEP to win one game, one game, miners, one game. I don't know that that's going to happen. Both UTEP and Louisiana Tech are slightly more than touchdown underdogs this weekend. I'm assuming both will lose and continue this frustration, but that's life. That's, that's the, what's what's fun about it is that Louisiana Tech schedules weird. We did this the other day, but they're done after, after this week. And so, uh, you got two chances to have more football. One, 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 one game. Just got to win one. game, you tip. Anyway, uh, that, I think we've covered it. Uh, you want to fire through a recap and we'll get out of here for the folks? Yeah, absolutely. Fun, fun show. Uh, I've got uh, this week, I'm going to go with Coastal minus three and a half uh, against Army. I'm going to go TCU minus 12 and a half versus Baylor and UNLV plus three, the road dog at Air Force. And I am taking UTSA in the first half by eight and a half against South Florida. I am taking Ball State by 12 against Kent State. And I am taking the Wake Forest team total under 10 and a half at Notre Dame. Paying a little bit of premium there. Neg 130 at FanDuel. But Notre Dame very well might shut out Wake Forest as it has its last two senior day opponents. Both of them similar quality. 2022 Boston College, 2021 Georgia Tech. I like it. I like that you're exploring different markets too. Fun to get those in here. Who this has been another episode of Never Punt, comma, Never Parlay, part of the Hammer Betting Network, found on Hit the Books HQ uh, YouTube channel. Check out Kanish and Powers and all their nonsense a couple times a week if, over there. If as you're well. lucky, Joey Kanish will show up on time, unlike Parker, and will show up with a mic plugged in, which Parker had to work on today. Parker did, is our new. I, Joe, I did commit to the bit. I did commit to the bit. this week. Um. Yeah. I. I. Uh, I, and, I, I stand in your here, most a recent show, you went zero three. Even more like Joey Kinnish. <laughs> the similarities are certainly striking. For my co-host Douglas Farmer, Farmer, I am Parker Fleming. We'll see you guys next week, Lord willing.